wherever you are around the world, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to Truth To You. That's truth number two, letter U.org. And I am speaking with Keith Johnson and Nehemia Gordon. G'day, gentlemen. Good day. G'day, Jono. Nice to have you back. In fact, last time we spoke, last time we were speaking, we were talking about uh, that broken puzzle that is the prophecy of Yeshua, known as the sign of Jonah. And during that discussion, Nehemia, uh, you let us know of your upcoming gigs and uh, told us that the subject of your lecture, of your presentation, is entitled Pope Benedict's Theological Three-Card Monty. Now, that wow. <laughs> that has to heighten anybody's curiosity. I want to talk about that. And my understanding, Keith, my understanding is that it has something to do with the Pope's banning of God's name uh, in mm-hmm. 2008, something that you wrote in detail about in your book, His Hallowed Name Revealed Again. And uh, But before, guys, if it's okay, before we get to that, Nehemi, I'd, I'd like to uh, just talk about something that appeared in the news a couple of days ago on the 28th of May. And Before we do that, Jono, can, can I just tell the people that I'm going to be speaking on this topic June 8th and 9th in Seattle, Washington at something called the One God Conference, and I'm sure you'll post details on truthtoyou.org. And so if you're in the Seattle area or if you've got the ability to come and fly in, this is I'm going to be doing this topic one time, and it's actually, I think, one of the most important things I've ever talked about. And I'm going to be sharing some things that you know are new discoveries, some really exciting things. And uh, June 8th to 9th, the One God Conference in Seattle, Washington on Pope Benedict XVI's Theological Three-Card Monty. So So if you can give me the link to that, we'll put it on the post so that people can uh, get the details and be there. Because undoubtedly it's going to be in much greater detail than what we're going to discuss here. But we've got to talk about that before we do. The world's oldest Torah scroll found in Italy is what uh, the BBC is reporting a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's only a short article. I'm going to read this. Is this okay? It sure, says, yes. uh, the University of Bologna in Italy has found what it says may be the oldest complete scroll in Judaism's, Judaism's most important text, the Torah. It goes on to say the scroll was in the university library, but it had, it had been mislabeled, the professor at the university says. It was previously thought the scroll was no more than a few hundred years old. However, after carbon dating tests, the university said that the text may have been written more than 850 years ago. The university's professor uh, of Hebrew, Moro Parani, says this would make it the oldest complete text of the Torah known to exist and an object of extraordinary worth. The university says that in 1889, one of its librarians, uh, Leonello Madonna, had examined the scroll and dated it to the 17th century. However, when Professor Perani recently re-examined the scroll, he realized the script used was that of the Oriental Babylonian tradition, meaning that the scroll must be extremely old. Another reason for the dating is that the text has many features forbidden in later copies under rules laid down by the scholar Maimonides in the 12th century, the university says. Now, Keith, we did go to uh, to Maimonides' uh, tomb in Tiberias, mm-hmm. right? Uh, mm-hmm. we, we were there not so long ago. And I remember when we were there, uh, there was uh, Haridim there praying at the tomb of Maimonides. He was the 12th century uh, rabbi, a, a physician, a, a philosopher, uh, highly revered, revered still um, by by the Jews today, and uh, but what heightened my curiosity in Nehemiah? Two things: Oriental Babylonian yeah. tradition, uh, this script, and and the other thing yeah. was uh, features forbidden by Maimonides. Can you shed any light on this? It makes it sound like well, this is the oldest Torah we have. That's not true. 
Mm-hmm. Um, right. Just take, for example, the, the Leningrad Codex is older than this Torah scroll. If you read carefully what they said, this is the oldest Torah scroll that scroll, we have. Yeah, because the Leningrad Codex that, is a codex, it, right? Right. So the codex is in the form of a book. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we mm-hmm. have fragments that, uh, of the Torah that predate this by, um, by like, let's see, 1,600 years, approximately 1,700 years. Mm-hmm. The earliest mm-hmm. fragment, of course, I mentioned in my book, Shattering the Conspiracy of Silence, yes. um, is two copies of silver scrolls um, <clears throat> that have the priestly blessing and actually a verse from Deuteronomy. And so that's the oldest biblical text that survived um, from 650 BC, found in Jerusalem. That's only a fragment, though. That's only a few verses. Uh, a complete Torah scroll. This is the oldest one, according to this. And, and I should warn people that, you know, a lot of times we'll hear these things in the news, and then six months later, on the back page of the newspaper, they'll say, "Well, the other scholars have determined that that's not actually true." Mm-hmm. Um, so when when there's the great discovery, that's on the front. Like, does remember, everybody remember those lead codexes that were found in Jordan? Yes, I do. That were go back to the early days. Of, so now nobody in the scholarly world, very few people, I should say, in the scholarly world, still consider those to be legitimate. Mm-hmm. Um, they're pretty sure they were manufactured by a forger uh, a few years ago possibly, you know, in the last century. Mm -hmm. Um, But nobody, you know, very few people, I should say, consider those to be legitimate. But that you don't hear that in the news. You only hear about the discovery that when it's, you know, shown to be not accurate or at least disputed, you hear that's in the back pages. So I'm a little skeptical about this, I have to be honest with you. But but it's very possible this is an 850-year-old Torah scroll. Now, what are they talking about in these, you know, things that Maimonides forbade? Um, Now, this, I'm going to preface this and say that I have this on inside information, and it's possible that you'll need to edit this out because I haven't actually gotten permission to share this yet. Really? Okay. Um, in all seriousness, uh-huh. um, I'm waiting for a response from someone to find out uh, uh, if this can make this public. If, and, and this isn't like you know, this isn't it, it. It it's kind of technical information. Basically, there were certain forms of letters that um, that Kabbalists uh, in that period would change the form of a certain letter and make the letter appear awkward um, in the Torah and in the Torah scrolls. And this was to uh, convey some kind of Kabbalistic hidden meaning. And Maimonides came along and said, look, we can't, we can't mess around with the letters. The letters are sacred. We've got to write them uniformly, all the same. Stop doing this. Um, and that's just an example of the type of thing that apparently appears in this Torah scroll um, you know, it hasn't. They published a picture, but I actually tried to look at it, and it's so small you can't actually make anything out. Um, you can read the words, but you wouldn't be able to tell the you know something as distinct as the shape of the letters from the portion they published. Hmm. Uh, and this is the type of thing that's going to appear in a journal, presumably, I imagine soon, um, in which you know he's going to detail why he says it's from you know 1150 rather than 17 or 1650. Um, and this is an interesting point. You know, we talk about the Torah. Being you know 2,500 years old, or excuse me, 3,500 years old, around 1500 BCE, but how many copies of it do we have? Um, you know, it's very interesting. Uh, w- one of the things that you know Keith and I have talked about is the name of Yehovah in the Aleppo Codex, and and one of the the criticisms I've heard from the um, from the Yahweh people is that well, wait a minute, the Aleppo Codex is only from the 10th century, and when we say Yahweh, that's based on uh, uh, Clement of Alexandria. And Clement of Alexandria is, is, is from the 2nd century. And so he's 800 years before, 700 years, before the, uh, the Aleppo Codex. Mm-hmm. Well, I was actually doing some research on this and found out, yes, Clement of Alexandria is from the 2nd century. 
But guess when the earliest and, in fact, only manuscript of Clement of Alexandria is from? Oh, I wouldn't know. Anybody know? It's from a hundred years after the Aleppo Codex. Truly, mm-hmm. it's from the, yeah, mm-hmm. from the eleventh century. Well, that's because let, let we don't have say, the original. We don't have the original thing that Clement wrote. What we have is a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy, and that's always the case. Mm-hmm. You know, we mm-hmm. don't have the Torah written in the hands of Moses. We have copies of copies of copies of copies, and we have some copies that, like I said, are from 650 BC that are little pieces, but mm-hmm. the complete ones are from you know around um, around the year 1000. That's when we have the complete ones from. Go okay. ahead, Keith. Sorry. Well, let me say this. Uh, Jonah, I know we're, we're going to be moving to the other topic, but uh, I also have been in some secret conversations about this Torah scroll, and mm. I am now convinced that the ancient word pictures are in this Torah scroll, which Nehemiah doesn't like, that reveal information that uh, that I do believe is, is, is going to be very powerful. So, you know, Aleph and the Tav and the oh. and, the, and, the, and the Et. You know, these are the things that are in this Torah scroll, and I can't wait till we get a copy of it. Uh, but let me say in seriousness, <laughs> what I really do, what I really do love about the, the 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 fact that they had found it is this weekend. I just want to mention this. This weekend, mm. I was preaching a, a message in a Lutheran church out of Second Kings twenty two about uh, Josiah, where they went into the temple and they found the book. So two days later, when I saw this, that they had found the book, you know, the thing that excited me about it is anytime we get a chance to find a new witness, another witness to the power of, of God's word. Whether the Torah scroll really is 18th, 17th, 15th, it was sort of for me just another thing that I love about this idea that there are so many manuscripts and so many witnesses of God's word all over the world that we still haven't found. And I'm always looking for that opportunity to kind of segue into this this topic, always looking for that opportunity when someone finds something that would somehow help us have another witness to the information that we have brought forward about mm-hmm. God's name. So I, I really do. I really do love it when when this stuff comes out. You know, some some secret thing that came out. And, of course, everyone has to look at it. And that's what we always want to do. But uh, that's the beauty of these Hebrew manuscripts and these Torah scrolls. And this information is that we get the chance to see this in our generation, which, uh, you know, obviously uh, folks didn't have that same opportunity in such mass quantities like we do now. We can go on the Internet and you could say, hey, did you see that they found this Torah scroll? Whereas hundreds of years ago, you know, how long would it have taken for people to find out, you know, when the book was found and mm. where it was and what the dates were. So no, I certainly. think it's an exciting time in history just to, to be able to to hear about this stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is. I, I, what's so exciting to me is that, that you know, there are um, other documents like this that we don't know about yet that exactly. uh, haven't been discovered that, you know, we don't have to ha- go through an Indiana Jones scenario in order to find something like this. There's something out there in front of our noses, and I don't think you read this part of it, or I don't remember if you did, where they said the reason that this wasn't oh, – I guess you did read it. The reason that, that this is a new discovery is because it was mislabeled. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it was labeled as being from the 17th century by somebody who didn't you know, really know what he was talking about, mm. and then they did a carbon-14 date and discovered it was from the 12th century. Now, okay, carbon-14 dating is a little is a little sketchy, and that's why – What do you mean? That's – what are you talking but, about, Nehemiah? So the scientists. Yeah, okay. Anyway, hey, look, I studied archaeology. <laughs> when they were carbon fourteen date something that didn't fit their model, their understanding of the time period, they would say, "Well, that's a contaminated sample." Okay. Now, when it did fit their theory, they would accept it. I'm talking about mainstream archaeologists. You okay. Know, this is con- you know conspiracy theory, just, you know fundamentalist stuff. Just for, so just even for, mainstream archaeologists, they don't accept a carbon fourteen date if it doesn't fit what they already believe. Can you just just for those of us like myself who doesn't know what what do you mean when you I mean you you, you know you've done a degree in, in biblical archaeology what is carbon fourteen dating what, what is that 
um, with a specialty in biblical. Anyway, um, so carbon-14 dating, and this is actually literally Archaeology 101. I mean, literally, this is a class called Archaeology 101. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> so basically, carbon uh, exists in something called an isotope, and you can ask a physicist what that means. Mm -hmm. But there's carbon-12, and that's the normal carbon in the atmosphere that exists. And carbon-14 is, is a rare isotope. And carbon-14 is, is um, radioactive, mm -hmm. um, and it breaks down into carbon-12. And so uh, there's the base, basically what they look at is when something dies, the amount of carbon-14 is fixed mm -hmm. in its body. When something breathes, it breathes in the carbon-12 and 14, and there's a fixed ratio. And then when it dies, that ratio is fixed, and that 14 gradually breaks down into carbon-12. And then what you come along and do thousands of years later is you examine, okay, how much carbon-14 is left in a ratio mm -hmm. to carbon-12. And based on that, you can supposedly determine the age of, of something. Well, one of the criticisms of this is that, well, how do we know carbon-14 and carbon-12 always had a fixed ratio in the atmosphere? Because mm -hmm. today it doesn't. Uh, since 1950, uh, when there, or actually a few years before that, when the first um, you know, nuclear weapon was detonated, the amount of carbon-14 to carbon-12 in the atmosphere hasn't been fixed. It's actually changed because of all that radioactive um, mm -hmm. you know, tampering that we've done in the atmosphere. So, uh, well, how do we know there weren't things going on a thousand years ago or two thousand years ago? And of course, there weren't nuclear weapons, but there were all kinds of you know comets and meteors and, mm. and who knows what kind of things going on. So, so it's based on an assumption. And actually, they did something. And I'm getting way off topic. Basically, carbon-14 dating was checked in, in the, the American Southwest by using something called tree tree ring dating uh -huh. and they found that it wasn't actually that accurate and so now they speak about where they were actually able to date things down to the year with the tree rings and so now they'll talk about the um they'll talk about the, the calibrated carbon 14 because they say well it, it actually wasn't a fixed amount it varied throughout time anyway i'm getting very technical the bottom line is if if the archaeologists and scientists decide that that it's really a 300 year old taller scroll they'll just disregard the, the carbon 14 date and say that it was contaminated right Okay, there we go, Keith. All I can say is I've already carbon fourteen dated my silver trumpet, and it really is, the one <laughs> that is legitimate. And I'm not going to listen to Nehemia tell me that it's not. Now let's move on. Now, speaking of uh, you know the many features forbidden in later copies, and speaking of revealing things again, I want to talk about your book once again, Keith. If I can, just returning to his hallowed name revealed again, an excellent book, people. If you don't have it, you need to get it. Now, you did, just correct me if I'm wrong, I do believe I read in your book some detail in regards to Pope Benedict's banning of the name in 2008. I, I want to I tell the people just what we're talking about, because some people have no idea. So just really quick, in 30 seconds, in June 29th, 2008, there was a papal directive, a ruling by Pope Benedict XVI, and it was called Letter to the Bishop's Conference on the Name of God. And the gist of the letter is that up until now, Catholics <clears throat> who are under the authority of Pope Benedict have been uh, offering prayers in the name of uh, Yehovah or Yahweh, and he doesn't make a big deal about that distinction, but they've been using the name of the Father, of the God of Israel, and he calls it the God of Israel's proper name, and henceforth they must no longer do that. Okay, And I actually found out just yesterday from Keith that this was uh, the catalyst for him to do something, that he was actually inspired by this. Actually, so and this is why Nehemiah won't, this is why we're on the radio and I'm so excited about this because let's have a little history lesson here. This is really important and I'm so glad Nehemiah um, has challenged us to, to, to dive into this because 
in 2008, this letter was written. Well, in 2009, Nehemiah and I were traveling around for the first time together speaking uh, on our book. Uh, um, what's the name of our book? A Prayer to Our Father, Hebrew Origins of the Lord's <laughs> Prayer. And uh, you have to remember, now, now Jonah, this is really important because this is going to set the context for why I think Nehemiah is about to do what he's going to do, which I, I'm very excited that he's going to do. So we're out speaking. We're speaking at different places. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the places that we spoke was, was in Charlotte, North Carolina. And we're speaking there, and we've got a, a, a wide variety of people, diverse group as I've ever seen. I mean, we had Jewish rabbi, Catholic priest, Christian pastor, scholars from the university, mm. people from the street, Messianics, Torah observant. Heck, we even had a couple Methodists there. And as we're speaking, we're speaking about this book. Well, a guy comes up to me and he says, uh, you know, Keith, I know you've mentioned about this issue. Uh, and, 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 and this is this is controversial because <laughs> when we started speaking, we were dealing with this issue of Yeshua saying, Yit Kadeshimcha, your name be sanctified. And Nehemiah would say, okay, Keith, you can talk about that, but we, we let's don't let that be a big issue because it's very controversial talking about the name or the mm-hmm. pronunciation of the name. Well, I did a really radical thing at one of these speaking events, and I was talking about the name. Well, this Catholic priest comes up to me. He's got on his Catholic priest clothes, mm-hmm. and he says to me, you know that uh, what you just did has been banned by the Pope. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, I, I've got the letter right here. Oh, wow. Like, what do you mean you got a letter? Yeah, you can't do that. So he sends me the letter. I talked to Nehemiah. I said, Nehemiah. And, you know, I'd get all dramatic about it. Nehemiah would be just cool and calm, you know. Let's stay on topic, he'd say. Let's stay on topic. And I said, Nehemiah, look at this letter from the Pope saying we can't do this. And Nehemiah's like, Keith, don't, don't, don't make a big deal about it. So he I and I had a really big silver trumpet. <laughs> He'd say, don't blow the silver trumpet about that. Can I blow the silver trumpet, Nehemiah? No, you can't blow the silver trumpet. No, no. <laughs> Here's what happens. And, I'm, and this will set the context. So when I get the letter, I read the letter in detail and I go on a fit and a rage. And I went to Nehemiah first. I said, Nehemiah, we must do something about this. He said, Keith, we're not touching that with a 10 foot pole. <laughs> <laughs> because Nehemiah is so politically correct, everyone. Everyone knows that he is. Oh, of course. But what I did that Amen. summer is I, I, got, I took that letter and looked at it piece by piece, and that's what spurred me on to write the book, is how the name revealed again, because what the Pope says in no uncertain terms, he says, I think you got the letter right there, Nehemiah. In recent years, the practice has crept in of pronouncing the God there of Israel's is. proper name in the yeah. reading of biblical texts taken from the lectionary as well as in prayers and hymns. So now, Jono, when I read that phrase, he says, in recent years, this practice has crept in. And I'm all excited because, of course, in 2002, I had had this encounter with the name of God. Nehemiah and I were sitting in the old city of Jerusalem. I'd asked him this important question, talk about it all the time. And he says, do you have a piece of paper and pencil? We start on this journey. I'm sitting there with the Leningrad Codex as the basis for the Hebrew Bible that I had in my hand. Find the name printed as Nehemiah said it. And, of course, that was 2002. Once the Pope comes out and says, some people have been speaking and praying and, and singing this name, and this must not be. Well, that got me fired up again, mm-hmm. and I don't mind telling you to. Now it's 2013, and Nehemiah has gotten me all fired up again. So let's mm-hmm. get into this topic. So now, before we do, Keith, I mean, is it fair to say, <laughs> I think you've been, on the, you've been on the Pope's case for the last five years. Since, since this then. Is what started it. This, this is what started it, Jono. I wasn't going to fight the Pope till he sent this letter out to the entire Catholic Church saying it has crept in that there's some people out there doing this this must not be by directive of the holy father Mm. sorry for my excitement 
and that and that spurred you on to to uh, apply the pressure to Pope Benedict. And of course, after all the pressure you applied and all the stress that you were giving him, he had to he resign. Resigned. He resigned. He resigned. He, he couldn't take it anymore. He rang me and he said, "Can you get Keith to lay off because I can't take I, it anymore?" He was in tears, and I said, "I look, you have to speak to Nehemiah, him." Nehemia said this in last year and in, in the in the winter last year. He said, "I've begged Keith to leave the Pope alone. Leave this old guy alone." Nehemia's Mister Mr. Nice Guy. But now Nehemia is finally look. The guy he was has been through a lot. He you know he was in the Hitler Youth and he had the, <laughs> the, the, easy. he was he was hiding the uh, the priests who were doing what they were doing in Boston and you know the, the guy's been through a lot. Leave him, the poor guy. Alone. You guys, <laughs> let me tell you a secret. And I'm gonna I'm gonna say this and then I'm gonna turn it over and try to be just a, you know I was invited as a guest. I'm not the main guy here. Nehemia is gonna really talk about this the, the Pope Benedict's three card Monty theological three card Monty. But I want to say something to set the context. To be clear, the Pope was doing what every other uh, foreign ruler wanted to do to Israel, and that mm -hmm. was to, to ban the speaking of God's name. Now, the Pope also attempted to change time. I have that, which I'm going to be talking about. And, of course, he doesn't believe the Torah to be the word of God anymore. So the bottom line is the three T's, the to he came against all three of them, and it was this T that caused me to say enough is enough. Mm. I'm not going to sit and be quiet about this. And, of course, we wrote the book. And now Nehemiah has gone much further since then, and now he's circled back to do this this message. So I can't wait to hear it. Now, Nehemiah, what are you going to talk about? This is what I want to know, Nehemiah, because when you first said to us last time, a couple of weeks ago, that you were talking about Pope Benedict's theological three-card Monty, I just assumed mm -hmm. that it had something to do with the Trinity. Now, what, what is this about? What is this about, well, Nehemiah? So, so here, and I want, I want to preface this by saying I am not going to be speaking uh, against the Trinity. That is not the focus or, or the function. I, you know, I, look, I'm a Jew. I don't, you know, I don't need to tell people that Jews don't believe in the Trinity. That's obvious. Sure. Uh, but what so, is what well, is this three card Monty? What's that? So basically, uh, three card Monty is the game that I don't know if they play this in Australia, but you see it on the streets in America, where they have three cards and they're laid down with the, um, you know, with, with the the backside of the card showing, mm -hmm. and so you can't see what the card is. Is it you know a mm -hmm. two or is it an eight or whatever? And uh, but underneath one of those three cards is a queen. And so the, the guy who's doing the three-card Monty, he shows you the queen, mm -hmm. and then he puts it flat down so you can't see it, and he mixes around the three cards. And the objective is to follow which of those three cards is the queen. And, uh, and he does it very fast, and he essentially uses, quite literally, sleight of hand mm -hmm. in order to trick you and make you think that, well, this one's the queen, and really it's the other one. And, uh, you know, and it's a gambling game where you lose money or something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. I've never actually played, but I've seen it on TV. Sure. Um, and uh, so basically, this three-card Monty is it's sleight of hand, and I, and I maintain that Pope Benedict is using exegetical sleight of hand. That is, he's using the sleight of hand of interpretation in order to trick people into, and he kind of admits this. He he does admit it in his papal uh, directive. Uh, he's using theological sleight of hand to trick people into taking verses that speak about Yehovah, about the God, what he calls the God of Israel's proper name, and to make them refer to Jesus. Uh, now, again, I'm not here speaking against the Trinity, or you know, uh, that's not the issue here, because even in the Trinity doctrine, there's three different persons, uh, you know, Father, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, three different, you know, and so what he's doing is he's blurring the distinction. Now, when they talk about the Trinity, um, you know, they'll, they'll, they like to give this analogy of water. And they'll say water has three states, right? It has the state of um, uh, Liquid solid. And, and ice and, and uh, steam, gas, right? Right. I thought you weren't going to talk about the Trinity. What, what, what's going on? <laughs> well, no, I, I wanna, I, I'm not going to speak against the Trinity, I said. 
Oh, I see. So there's okay. solid, liquid, and gas, okay? And all three of those are water. And they'll say, well, this is Father, Son, Holy Ghost, all three of them. Now, now of course, as a Jew, that doesn't make any sense to me because I know that solid, liquid, and gas, um, that water is in those three states at different times. And they're saying that it's simultaneously solid, liquid, and gas, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. And then they'll, they'll tell you that's the great mystery. And, and I'm not knocking that. That's their doctrine. That's their belief. I don't understand it, but that's what they believe. Hmm. What, I, what I'm criticizing here is that the Pope has come along and said, we can talk about liquid and we can talk about gas, but we must never mention solid anymore. For now on, solid is going to be referred to as water. And we can only speak about water, liquid, and gas. Now, why does he do that? He does that because he wants to deceive people. Now, okay. if, you, if, if, it, if you talk to most people about water, liquid, and gas, they'll assume the water is liquid. And this is what he does with Lord. In the Tanakh, you have Yehovah. Mm -hmm. In the New Testament, you have Jesus or Yeshua. Okay? Um, and, and those are distinctions that appear in, in the New Testament. That's not disputed. Uh, it talks about you know the fa God the Father in the New Testament, and I'll, we'll read a verse about that in, in a few minutes mm -hmm. if we get to it. And um, you know God the Father is it's not disputed as Yehovah. Or some people say Yahweh. Um, that's our heavenly Father in, in Judaism. You know our uh, our Father in heaven. Um, and uh, what he says is, well, we're not going to speak the name of the Father. We're going to call him Lord. Okay. Right. And why does and why does he do that? Because Yeshua is also called Lord. Jesus. Right. Now, we can say the name Jesus, but we can't say the name of the Father. We're just going to call him Lord. And he explains why. I want to read you a little bit from the letter, just very quickly. Please. I won't, it's, it's a two-page letter. I won't read the whole thing. But he says, quote, The first generation of Greek-speaking Christians never pronounced the divine tetragrammaton. For those who don't know, tetragrammaton is Greek for the four-letter name. The four-letter name is Yehovah, mm -hmm. or Yahweh, according to some people. Um, the first generation of Greek-speaking Christians never pronounced the divine tetragrammaton. This fact, I'm quoting the Pope's letter, this fact has had important implication for New Testament Christology itself. Mm -hmm. The attribution of the title Lord to the risen Christ corresponds exactly to the proclamation of his divinity. And there's the money ball. If we can call him Lord, if we can change Yehovah to Lord, mm -hmm. we can say that Jesus is God. Right. This is what the Pope is saying. If, well, let, let me see if I understand what you're saying, because uh, my understanding is that the New Testament quotes mm -hmm. the Old Testament. 32% of the New Testament, New Testament is made up of the Tanakh, right? Mm -hmm. So it's mm -hmm. quoting a lot. And uh, in, in the Tanakh, as you mentioned, uh, the name of God is Yehovah, but in the English translation, it is um, capitalized as Lord. We also have, uh, but in the Greek, we have the word kurios, I believe, which mm -hmm. is translated mm -hmm. as Lord, and it's right. there. There is uh, reference to Jesus as Kurios, but there's also uh, when it's quoting the Old Testament, it also translates the name as Kurios. Is this this is what you're talking about, right? Absolutely. Well, that's one of his arguments. He brings several arguments. One of them is he says the Jews before the time of Jesus called uh, Yehovah. They called him Adonai, Lord. The Septuagint accepted that, that is the ancient Greek translation of the of the Tanakh into Greek, used the word kurios or kurios in some pronunciations as Lord. Um, the Old Latin and the and the Vulgate, he says, also used Dominus, which is Lord or Dominus. Mm -hmm. um, and so he says, look, we've got this long history of calling Jehovah, Jehovah Lord. And bottom line is it helps us our, with our New Testament Christology. And that's why it's important for us in its own right. 
us meaning the Catholics. Um, and, and, and that's that's the sleight of that's the sleight of hand that you told. That's the sleight. Well, the sleight of hand is he takes verses that speak about Yehovah, and he's able to apply them to Jesus by using the word Lord. And let me just read you a couple of these verses that work into the Pope's um, Christology. Um, it, here, one of my favorite passages is Psalm 83, and I'll read you, not the whole thing, but verses 16 to 18. It says, fill their faces, speaking about the nations who, who want to who stamp out the name of Israel earlier in the chapter, it actually talks about. And, and this is actually, you know, Keith mentioned this, that the Pope is doing what every ruler has done, and I don't know if he realizes how true, what he, he probably does, how true what he says is, and, and, you know, the Pope comes from the Roman tradition, and in Rome there's this concept called damnatio memoriae. And damnato memoria, or condemnation of memory, is something they would do in ancient Rome, is they would, there would be somebody who was proclaimed a traitor, and they would go to all of his statues and all of his monuments, and they would, they would chisel out his name. They would, you know, it would say, hmm. I don't know, Augustus Caesar, and they would chisel out the name Augustus Caesar, and they would either leave that blank if they couldn't do anything about it, or they would replace that with the name Julius Caesar, of hmm. a different ruler. And and this is essentially what the Pope is doing with the name of Yehovah. He is con- he is performing a condemnation of memory, of uh, of dum- in the in the fine tradition of Rome where he you know where he resides the Damnatio Memoriae, and and I I maintain that this is actually contrary to Trinitarian theology, that this is actually contrary not, you know not to mention contrary to the Tanakh, but the the Trinity speaks about fa- you know the Father Son Holy Ghost, and he's established he's essentially trying to. Um, trying to stamp out the Father and and make yeah. Jesus to be the only figure there, mm. and I think Christians should be more disturbed about this than Jews. Although Jew, Jews and, obviously and find it, it you know, horrific. Well, no, what I appreciate about what Nehemiah is doing, and and, and Jono, I, what I really appreciate about you uh, allowing us to discuss this, obviously on radio, is that it's taking Nehemiah. Uh, he's gone through a process, and a really important process, because. When I first came, when I first brought this up, you know, I was like a, a bull in the china shop. I mean, I just couldn't believe that the Pope had the chutzpah to to do this in such a, I mean, in black and white. <laughs> this should this no longer shall be. But when you take the time to start peeling away what's under it, it really becomes uh, what I call a very crucial information. And and I what there were actually I, I think Nehemiah in the, in the letter uh, he he does the letter one way, but what I did is I put. I picked five statements that he made that I say are fictional. The five are the first one is since the name is unpronounceable, it was replaced with Adonai, which means Lord. Since the name is unpronounceable, that's that's fiction, but mm-hmm. it's in his letter. Second thing is the Greek translation rendered the Hebrew tetragrammaton with the Greek word kurios, which means Lord. Mm-hmm. The third one is the title Lord is interchangeable between the God of Israel and Messiah of the Christian faith, even though it is not in fact used for Messiah of Israel. Then the fourth one is first generational Greek speaking Christians never pronounced the divine tetragrammaton. The fifth one, the tetragrammaton was never pronounced in the Christian context or ever translated to any of the languages into which the Bible was translated. Well, in the book, what I do is I go through each of those five things and say, that's his fiction. Mm. Here's what the fact is. Now, what I appreciate about what Nehemiah is doing is he should, uh, by you using this term, theological three-card Monty, both Christian, uh, Jew, Messianic, whoever it is that's uh, listening to this, their antennas should go up. And what I really love is first starting in the Tanakh and understanding the importance of God's name. And then when we get to the New Testament, we're able to be able to um, what I call um, what's the best word we can use here? Parse the situation. He doesn't want there being any parsing. He just wants it to be, you know, mixed all together and thrown out 
in one sense and then told, here's the title over here, and here's what we're going to do with Jesus. Now, I do want to say something. This is going to be probably controversy number three. Hmm. Um, when I wrote the book, I did something that Nehemiah and I had a big argument about, Jonah. And I'll let Nehemiah tell him what it was. Nehemiah. Well, I think he's just talking about his bonus chapter. That <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to read you these verses from Psalms 83. Um, okay. <laughs> it says they have come, you know, they have said, "Come and let us cut off from uh, being a nation that the name of Israel may no more in uh, may be no more in remembrance." These are the enemies of Israel that want to do damnatio uh, memoriae. They want to condemn the name of Israel to cut it off from memory. And then later in the chapter, he says, fill their faces with shame. They may, they may seek your name, O Yehovah. So it's not about the name of Israel. We don't even care about our name. We want you to, uh, to defeat these nations so that they may seek your name, O Yehovah, that men may know that you, whose name alone is Yehovah, are the most high over all the earth. Now, this is one of the few verses, one of only seven verses in the, in the, in the Tanakh, that in the King James Version, they said, we can't put Lord here. It has to say Jehovah. And why does it have to say Jehovah? Because the verse doesn't make sense if you put in Lord. Because then it changes to that men may know that thou whose name alone is, is the Lord are the most high over all the earth. Mm -hmm. Well, his name isn't the Lord. Now, in the, Pope's version, in the Pope's Version, the name is the Lord. And the, and the name we're talking about isn't the name of Jehovah. It's the name of Jesus. Right, the name alone, whose name alone is the Lord, and who's who, you know, that they may seek your name, O Lord. Mm. Well, who's the Lord? The Pope establishes the Lord as Jesus, mm. and Lord indicates Jesus as divine. That that's that's the whole point of what he says there. That Lord is a term that was applied to Jesus when he became God. That after the resurrection, that's that's what the the Pope says, mm. which is kind of ridiculous because you re just start reading in the Gospel of Matthew, and the disciples are referring to to, to Jesus to to Yeshua as Lord, um, and you actually find that if I'm not mistaken, in all four Gospels before the resurrection, he's referred to as Lord. The Pope makes this theological leap that oh no, Lord refers to Jesus to Yeshua after the resurrection. Well, that's factually untrue. Mm. Um, now, whether Yeshua is, is divine or not, that's not for me as a Jew to say. I'll leave that for Christians to work out amongst themselves. But to say that the word Lord somehow implies that is utterly ridiculous. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have Lord, and you know, even in the New Testament, it makes reference to the fact that Sarah called Abraham Lord. Well, is, sure. is Abraham God because Sarah called him Lord? And, of course, you can find that in Genesis. She calls him Adoni, my Lord, mm -hmm. uh, which really is a way of saying, you know, my, my, you know, my husband. Uh, it's just, you know, in fact, in Israel, if you walk into the bank, they'll say, Adoni, they'll call you my Lord. Not that I'm anybody's Lord when I walk into the bank, but they're, they're being respectful. It's, it's just a sign of respect to call someone Lord mm. in Hebrew. It doesn't have any, you know, Im theological Im implication. Um, and when we refer to Yehovah as Lord, uh, we're being respectful to him. Sure. I was just going to say, just on, just on a side note, just on what you mentioned before, Keith, coincidentally, this week's Torah portion in Torah Pearls that, that we uh, recorded uh, mm -hmm. one year ago, I suppose it must have been, in uh, Shalach, we, we do actually mention that chapter, that <laughs> that last chapter of the book that the you were referring to. The, the controversial bonus chapter, we did talk about right. that briefly, and uh, so, so people can find that there. So he begged to leave that out of his book. His Jewish friends begged him, his Christian friends begged him, his Messianic friends begged him. They said, Keith, you talked about the name of Yehovah, leave poor Yeshua alone. And he just couldn't do it. So mm -hmm. what's in that chapter, Keith? Well, no, the reason that I, I wanted to bring that up, and, I, and, and ultimately the reason that I did it, actually still has something to do with what the Pope had done and what Christian tradition does. And one of the things that's very, very sad that I've found amongst my Jewish friends 
is that they knew more about the um, the meaning of the name Jesus in terms of its original context than many of my Christian friends. And that name is so powerful and so important. Um, and yet in, in many of uh, the context that I come from, the background I come from, they say, okay, it's the name Jesus. And and, and again, they go on and on with Jesus. Well, we did a little bit of unpacking. You find out the, the importance and meaning of that name. Now, here's where Nehemiah has gotten in a lot of trouble, and I'm kind of glad he did it. Uh, every time we would go and speak, Jono, he would do this really radical thing. He would use a verse in Matthew mm-hmm. from the Hebrew Matthew and explain the importance of Hebrew in terms of how the Gospel of Matthew was one of the witnesses. Well, what verse would he use? He would use the verse about the naming of Jesus. And I always thought well, the first time he did that, I'm like, Nehemiah, you're going too far. I mean, it's almost like you're uh, you know, getting excited about this or something. And he would preach it. You know, He'd really preach the importance of this name. Mm-hmm. And, and what was really sad is that when we get to the name Jesus, not understanding its historical context or what that name actually meant and what it, what it brought, I thought, how can I write this book about this really important thing and never have a chance to have people that come from the place that I come from understand the importance of the name that they use all the time because there's significance and connection to the name Jesus in its original language, mm. history, and context to this name in that we find in the Tanakh, the name Yehovah. And it was Nehemiah that really, again, spurred me on about that because here he's upstanding talking about this this manuscript, and many of the people that I, that I'm, where I come from don't even know that Jesus' name isn't Jesus. Like, they think that in the first century, his name was Jesus, J-E-S-U-S. And so come to find out that there really is really important information under his name. And and what I got excited about with that verse in Matthew is that it actually shows that – I mean I got excited about the Hebrew. You know, Hmm, name exclamations are an important thing you see throughout the the Tanakh, throughout Hmm. the Bible, the Old Testament. You see it in in all kinds of ancient Jewish writings. In fact, I was reading just yesterday about the story of Nicodemus, and it wasn't in the Gospel of John. I was reading the story of Nicodemus in the Babylonian Talmud. And it explained why he was called Nicodemus. It was a Hebrew name explanation, a Hebrew, um, just like the name Yeshua. Uh, it says it talks about how there was a miracle surrounding Nicodemus, where the sun burst out, and so Nicodemus comes from the word "pierced" because the sun pierced through the clouds. Ah. Um, can I get an amen on that? That's pretty there cool. You, yeah. you know, and and so that's something that if you read in the Greek about Nicodemus, you don't know that his name has to do with with the light piercing through the mm-hmm. darkness. You don't mm-hmm. know that. In the Hebrew, you know that. And the name Yeshua actually has to do with, um, you know, in, in the Gospel of Matthew, it says, why is he called Yeshua? Because he will save his people from their iniquity, is what mm-hmm. it says. And the word uh, he will save is Yoshia. Yoshia, Yosh- Yeshua, it's, it's a word pun. Well, if you read it in the Aramaic, you don't get that word pun because mm-hmm. there's right. no connection between the word salvation, Yeshua, and Yoshia, he will save, and the name Yeshua. The word for salvation mm-hmm. is porkana in, um, in, in Aramaic. So it doesn't work in the Aramaic. It doesn't work in the Greek. Mm. It doesn't work in the English. It only works in the Hebrew. And so I get excited about the Hebrew. Um, and I get excited it, for other reasons. It, and, and let <laughs> I bet you do. Um, <laughs> he, he's, he's, he's working on that throne room in heaven if he can get me. Anyway, um, so, uh, you know, let, can I read you something really, really controversial? And sure. this is something that um, I learned about in China. In China, there's this uh, something the Chinese government calls an evil cult. And it's an organization called the Church of Almighty God. Most people call it the Eastern Lightning. And they 
have this belief, the Eastern Lightning, and just so you understand, we're not talking about a group of like 20 people, like the Methodists. We're talking about a movement that has a million members. A million talking members. about one of the largest denominations in the world. What are you talking okay, about? so we're not talking like about the Karaites. We're talking about a million members are in this uh, Eastern Lightning, and they're actually illegal in China. And they're they're you know um, they're illegal, and uh, <clears throat> and their two leaders are in hi- live in hiding, um, hunted by the uh, Chinese government. So the, the Eastern Lightning believes that Jesus has returned, and he was born in 1989 as a woman whose name is Mrs. Dung, and Dung is actually her her last name, her mm-hmm. family name. We don't know her per- personal name, as far as I know, but her name is actually not Mrs. Dung. Her name is Almighty God. And she's referred to – like if you go to the website of Eastern Lightning, they have hundreds, maybe thousands of pages of information. You won't find the name Mrs. Dung. You'll only find the name Almighty God because that's her name, they, they believe. Um, so anyway, here's a quote from their website, which explains the significance of the name Almighty God. They have a website. They have a website Talking about in English. Yeah. It's also in Chinese, of course, but it's translated into English. Oh. They've got a million people. Of course they've got a website. <laughs> All right. In the Old Testament age, says all, uh, this is a quote from them. In the Old Testament age, God did the er- work of issuing laws, and He took the name Jehovah, which originally means the God of the Israelites who can have mercy on people, curse people, and lead people to live. Now I got to stop here. Mm-hmm. That's a lie. <laughs> the name Jehovah, Yehovah, doesn't have any. Even if you pronounce it Yahweh, it has nothing to do with having mercy on people, cursing people, or leading mm-hmm. people to live. That's just a, a foolish lie. Yehovah is from the three Hebrew verbs, Hayahove, he uh-huh. was, he is, and he will be. Hayahove, he together is Yehovah. If you want to say Yahweh, it doesn't make a difference for this purpose. Um, uh, you know, you're wrong, but it doesn't make a difference <laughs> for the meaning. It just means you're mispronouncing it. You know, it's like it'd be like calling him Yahweh is like calling him me Nehemiah when my name is Nehemiah. All right, whatever. Sure. Um, just don't call me Uncle Fester. Um, <laughs> I've been told I look like Uncle Fester by this anti-Semitic witch. But anyway, edit that out. That's not important. Um, <laughs> oh, my gosh. No, that's an anti-Semitic slur. Uncle Fester was Jewish. Um, <laughs> Fenster is a Jewish about, name. No knew they do. What? Fenster. Anyway, when it came to the New Testament age, says the Church of Almighty God, God no longer did the work of the age of the law, but did the work of redeeming sinners and bestowing grace. He took the name Jesus, which originally means the sin offering to redeem people that is full of love and mercy. What? That's not what Jesus means. <laughs> the Gospel of Matthew says what Jesus means. It means he will save. Yoshia, Yeshua, Yoshia, he will save. And there's a second Amen. word upon a second name explanation that you actually see referred to in Luke, um, where Simon, uh, who is you know not Simon Peter, but Simon, who is in the temple, talks about, I've seen Yehovah's salvation. And so Yeshua, you know, there's often two explanations for names in, in ancient Hebrew. Um, Yeshua means he will save, and it also means Yehovah saves. And that's actually the literal meaning. Yeshua is short for Yehoshua, um, which is Joshua, which mm-hmm. is Yehovah Yoshia, Yehovah will save. Okay, so it doesn't mm-hmm. mean what they say here at the Church of Almighty God. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they, they're just factually wrong. Um, it doesn't mean the sin offering to redeem people that is full of love and mercy. That's a cute explanation that maybe makes sense in Chinese. In Hebrew, it's utter nonsense. He, they go on. They say, at that time, the name Jehovah was no longer mentioned because the age had changed. Changed. God's work had changed, and so his name had also changed. You mm-hmm. hear that? They're telling you the name was changed from Jehovah to Jesus, 
his function changed, his his mission changed, and so his name changed. And now they explain, and here's the money ball for the Church of Almighty God. This is what they're really getting at. When God comes the second time, he will do the work of judgment and will bring the people into the kingdom. So his name is changed to Almighty God, who is God, God's self, full of authority, honor, and glory. So what they've now said is his name was originally Jehovah, Jehovah. It was changed to Yeshua, Jesus, and now it's Almighty God, Mrs. Dung. Now, <laughs> if you ask me, what the Pope has done is really no different than what the Church of Almighty God has done. Well, they, what, what, what yep. the Easter Lightning has done is exactly they follow. They're following the Pope's cue. Mm, the name changed. It. Let's no longer call him Jehovah. Okay. No, that's it. I, I need you guys to give me just two minutes here on the radio. That's it. I, <laughs> I, you know, when we, when, when this happened in 2009, and, and for those who don't know the journey, Jonah, you were really wonderful in 2010. You allowed me to bring the book and we did it from truth to you. And of course it's available. And of course, Nehemia, uh, uh, wrote an, an amazing, an amazing, uh, forward where he explains how some other information was brought forward. And what's the name of the book for those who don't know what you're talking about? His Hollywood name about? revealed again, but I'm not going to talk about the book. I want to talk about something really, really much more important. Mm. And I've made a decision on the radio, and I've, and it's going to be done by tomorrow because you guys have spurred me on again. Mm. Here's what I think is so important about what we're talking about. What I always believed about this topic and every topic we've ever talked about is people need to own this information for themselves. Mm. So I tried in 2000, and Nehemiah is going to probably ask this to be edited out. I tried in 2011 to to put up a and he actually asked me to do this then and I wouldn't do it. I put I went to a Christian television station with the information that we had and I um, was sharing this on Christian TV, and there were some uh, some 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 opposers who came in. If you don't know the story, and they got the program kicked off TV under the guise mm-hmm. that that I was using a manuscript that was anti uh, uh, Yeshua. Long and story. Long story short. So it was banned. It, it, all right. So just for the record, now you're, you're okay, on the radio. You're on air. Just for the record, Keith, is it true you were using a manuscript that's anti-Yeshua? Absolutely not. What manuscript were you using? The one that every single English Bible's Old Testament, quote unquote, is based on—the Leningrad Codex, mm-hmm. and also the Crown Jewel, which was the Aleppo Codex that people never get a chance to actually see. But my friend Reggie White actually bought me a copy of the Aleppo Codex, and I brought these two witnesses into the television station and put them on television and open them up so people could understand this information. And, and, that and now I've got to interrupt Keith because this is what I do and oh, then I'm going to give him his full two minutes. Recently, two there minutes. was <laughs> you're going you're gonna to get your two minutes. Recently, there was another African-American who came to Israel and he was also shown the Aleppo Codex and his mm-hmm. name was President Barack Obama and he was actually shown the Aleppo Codex by uh, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. And I think I shared this story on the radio before, but it just moves me so much of why uh, Netanyahu took President Obama's precious time and said, I've got to show you the Aleppo Codex and the Dead Sea Scrolls. And the mm-hmm. reason is that on his previous visit, they took Obama to Yad Vashem, which is Israel's Holocaust yes. Memorial Museum. And then later, Obama made a very insensitive speech in which he said, you, ju- you Jews have to stop justifying your country, Israel, by, by summoning up the Holocaust. And so Netanyahu decided, okay, you want to see why this is our country? Let me show you. Mm. Here's the Bible you use in your church. Mm. It was written by hand a thousand years ago in Tiberias, in this country. Mm. Here's the Dead Sea Scrolls, written 2,300 years ago in this okay. country. 
And guess what? I can walk up to it. I, you know, Benjamin Netanyahu, who isn't a scholar, he's you know a great soldier and a pretty good uh, economist, but he isn't he isn't a scholar of the Bible by any stretch. And he's able to walk up to the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Aleppo Codex and read them like he's reading the USA Today. Mm. And his point was, Obama, you say this is a, we're here because of the Holocaust. We're here because this is our country. It's the same people in the same land speaking the same language. We were in exile for 2,000 years, but we're back, and we've rediscovered the scrolls okay. that our ancestors left here. Amen. And so I just, that was a little side point. Now you've got your two minutes, Keith. Okay, I'm actually so going to mute my and microphone. This is the point, so is the point Jonah, and this is really important. You guys have stirred something up in me again. And when I got the phone call from Nehemiah a few days ago saying, I helped you with the three-day, three-nights. Now I want you to come in and tell me with three-card theological Monty. I'm th I'm theological three-card Monty, and I'm thinking, absolutely, I'd love to do it. Well, he really got me spurred on, Jono. So here's what I did. I'm going to do something that's going to cause me – let's just put it this way. This was actually emotionally painful when this television show was taken off of Christian TV. Mm. I will make an announcement. I've never, I've never told anyone this publicly. I've never watched the entire series. Is that right? After it was – no, I've now never watched it. About, so okay, know. so I did a 12-part series called His Hollywood Name. Mm. It's been made available on DVD. I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to do this something. This is the one asked me. Hold on. Was uh, this was on television. It was banned from, from television. Mm. I've never that, watched the entire thing. Banned. You mean like they said, oh, Keith, this isn't good enough. We're not going to even put this on no, again. No, they with. said it was excellent. They took it off because I brought in the manuscripts as a witness. Now can I get my two minutes, Jono? Mm. I want you to put on the clock. <laughs> when Nehemia <laughs> called me, well, I made a phone call. Listen. When Nehemia called me, listen, I'm going to tell you, just listen to me. When he, when he called me, I made a phone call, and I, I've never made this phone call before. I called our team, and I said, hey, you know what? No more selling this. This is going to be made available. Nehemia asked me to do it two years ago, and I wouldn't. It's going to be made available for free starting this weekend. Oh, really? Every week, I'm going to play 1 through 12 on our website. People get to watch the information, and then they get to respond however they want to respond, and for 12 really? weeks – I'm going to put up something I've never watched starting this Friday night on our website, the first episode of His Hollywood Name that was banned from television. Mm. Nehemiah, I want to thank you. I disagreed with you a year ago, but now you've spurred this up. You've, you've stirred it up. I'm probably going to get in trouble for it. I'm going to put it up every week for 12 weeks. We're going to study this information together. And hopefully the information in Nehemiah's book, which is so powerful, Jono, mm. you know, when he wrote his book, I felt like it was a chance to go even deeper on the issue of the name. I think my book was a really great introduction, His Hollywood Name Revealed Again. This television series, I got to add information that wasn't in my book. And so I'm going to make this available starting this weekend. I don't know how mm -hmm. the guys are going to do it. But this Friday night, Nehemia, what you told me I should have done is going to be done. Every single week, 1 through 12 is going to be put up online to be watched for free Excellent. so that we can start – touching on this information and people can get it for themselves that's what mm. frustrated me about them banning it mm. people had a chance to see it for themselves and it's not Nehemiah's opinion or keith's opinion or you know rabbi so-and-so's opinion here it is for you to see it with your own two eyes mm. and they banned it and guess it was, what yep we're, you're gonna make it you're gonna make it available for free you keep me up to date with links because i i want people wow. to i'm gonna that. send it to you it was all Friday i can night. say is wow so what it, you're telling me is starting friday night and just just to be clear, when you say free, you mean seven dollars a month. What do you mean by free? No, 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 no. no, no I, I was no, driving no. yesterday in Texas, and I Let heard a commercial. And, I, and I, at first, I didn't realize it was a joke. It was a commercial 
uh, where they were, uh, you know, uh, advertisement where they were saying, you know, uh, we want to change the definition of free and we're petitioning the Webster's Dictionary because free should be defined as meaning not free, but we are able to charge money. <laughs> Ready? And, and Everybody listen to me. Everybody well, you listen say to me. $7 a month? Listen, what do you mean? The, Jono? Mm. Did I did I provide ten episodes of Time Will Tell for free? You provided ten episodes of Time Will Tell for free. Hear me, no money, I'm no exchange. I twelve episodes of his Hollywood name for free every wow. weekend. They're gonna they're gonna go on and watch it. No. They're gonna get a chance to go on Facebook if they want to Nehemia's page, BFA's page, my page, and we're gonna start a conversation. Because finally, what I want to tell you, Nehemia, that I appreciated in two thousand two is what you did in two thousand two is you said, Keith, here's the information. Go see it for yourself. Mm. What I did in 2011 was, hey, folks, here's the information. I'm going to let you see it for yourself. And what that Christian station did, they said, no, the pope has has banned this. We don't want to get in trouble with the Catholic Church. We can't bring this information to folks to see for themselves. Mm -hmm. It's been banned. And you know what? It's not going to be banned anymore because I have the ability to put it on my own site starting this Friday night, 31st of May, for 12 straight weeks. This is going to be available. All you have to do is register. You don't have to pay. You just register. And by registering, you get a password. You get to watch it. You can Excellent. share. You can. Okay. That, and I'm, you I, that's my announcement. I'm not, I'm that's my announcement, and I'm not taking it back. Okay. I'm not trying to be funny here, but when you register, do you have to give your credit card number? Absolutely not. <laughs> it's totally <laughs> I was, great. I wasn't trying to be funny. I don't know. Look, so Keith is surprised us all. I was, this was supposed Jonah. to be my show about three illogical three card Monty, and he's stolen the show now <laughs> and, and made this amazing <laughs> announcement. But it really is exciting to me to hear this because I've been begging Keith to do this for three years. He begged me. He now begged me people can go for free on Keith's website, and they get to see the same manuscripts that Reggie White got to see, the same yeah. ones that Barack Obama flew all the way to Israel mm. to see. And come on, brother. Come on, brother. Yahoo, and they got to see the ones that that you know that show that preserve the actual name of our heavenly father the creator of the universe with all the full vowels and so wow i'm excited about that keith no 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 jono this is important i want to take a minute and i want to thank you jono in 2010 i want to thank you nehemia 2002 and now again because what i want to do is i want people to go through the process of digging 12 straight weeks we're going to study together i'm going to make nehemia study with us i'm going to make him give us questions and comments we're going, to, we're going to find a way to have a forum to talk about this. I don't mm. know how we're going to do it, but I want to make this available for 12 straight weeks. Every week there will be an episode that's up. You get to watch it for the entire weekend. Questions, comments, concerns, and we're just going to do this step by step. And I've made this decision two days ago. I didn't know how it would get done, and now the team is going to be like, Keith, you can't do that. They're going to do it because mm. I've announced it on this radio. Unless you don't put this radio show up, I'm putting if you it up. put it up by tomorrow, it's got to be available by It'll tomorrow. It'll be there before they know about it, Keith. Don't you worry there about it is. that. That's all I wanted to hear. Now, have me hold me to it. And I, Thank and, you, I, and I want to, and once again, let me just say to the listeners, this is something you really want to watch while it is available. It was banned from TV. It was too hot for TV. It was taken off the air. And now you have the opportunity to watch it for and free. Let and, me say one more thing. Yeah. When Nehemia does his announcement, when he does this, this message, Nehemia, I would like your permission. Once this, this message is done, mm-hmm. this theological three card Monty, I want to put it also behind the, the door. People to see it for free. Listen to it. I want people to get as much information as they can so that they can own this important topic for themselves. Mm-hmm. That's the whole point. It's That's not about selling point. books and DVDs. It's about getting the information out to folks Amen. so that they can have it because you know what? That's the times that we're in. So Amen. thanks, so, Nehemia, for spurring me on and Jonah for putting this. This this has got me fired up. I'm, I'm going to get off the phone and call I'm the guys. Ex- I'm excited about that. You stay on the phone because I, I want to get back to Pope Benedict's Theological Three Card Monty because yes. um, I just want to share, Keith, with, with your book and with the controversial additional chapter, 
that you put in the book is how that name revealed it revealed again. It was important because it did draw the distinction between yes. uh, what what the what the New Testament is referring to, what the yes. Old Testament is referring to, and 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 let me just share a testimony about that because it wasn't long after I read the book that it became very very clear to me the um, the a sleight of hand that Nehemiah refers to, right? Um, and 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 even though I became aware of it, I still had to iron it out in my head. Absolutely. You know, as as you revisit topics in the Bible, one of the things that really shocked me uh, or surprised me was when I realized, Keith, uh, Zechariah Nehemiah, Zechariah fourteen verse four, and in that day his feet will stand yes, on the Mount yes, of Olives. Uh, and and which faces uh, Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two. And and I, if you told me who who was going to do that, I would tell you without a without a, a hesitation in the world. Well, that's when Yeshua returns to the earth. But only in the previous verse does it tell you, most specifically in verse three, that Yehovah will go forth. And and it talks about Yehovah in that day that His feet will. And and but how many times do I keep hearing that it's Yeshua that will go to the Mount of Olives? This is just one of the examples, and it really highlighted uh, the fact that I had fallen victim to this sleight of hand that you're talking about. Before we go, can you give us some more examples? I will do this. I'm going to do something that uh, Nehemiah might, might also uh, get a little frustrated with. But there, there were some sections that I took out of the bonus uh, chapter because they were they, they were they were seen to be too controversial. Those are going to be made available, Jonah, where people can actually look at a verse. I'll give you an example. Ooh. Philippians chapter two, verse ten. Uh, uh, if uh, Someone has a Bible. If you would no, open no, stop, that up, real stop quick. recording. Stop recording. No, no, no. You can't talk about this. No. We can't talk about this. Okay, folks. Wait, no, hold. On. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! I mean, I'm, you guys, I'm so fired up about this. I, I, here, here's what I think is exciting for the for the Methodist that's listening, for the Messianic that's listening, mm. for our Jewish brothers and sisters that are listening. I think everybody that really seeks truth wants to be able to understand it for themselves. And you know what? The Bible's pretty clear. New Testament and old. When you open it up and look at its context. It's pretty clear if I go back to those verses, who and what we're talking about. Now, here's what we did, and I'll, I'll kind of get away from the fire. Nehemiah, would you agree that when Yeshua was on that mountain and he said, Our Father in heaven, my name be sanctified. Is that what he said, Nehemiah? What? Uh, um, when Yeshua stood on the mountain, did he say, Our Father in heaven, my name be sanctified? Or did he say, Pray to him, our Father who art in heaven, who's in heaven, your name be sanctified. Now, every Christian that prays that prayer, that means that Yeshua is saying there's something about his father's name. And the list goes on, Jonah, and on and on and on. Mm. Many of the things that didn't get put in are going to be put in for discussion over the next 12 weeks because it's time for us to tell the Pope and his sleight of hand and others who don't know the information, let's get it, be clear about it, and go forward. And this mm. is a topic that I have been waiting to discuss in depth. And now that Nehemiah won't... Uh, won't uh, run from it. This is really going to be exciting. And, and I just got to read a few verses just so you understand what I mean by sleight of hand. Please, yeah, please. Uh, by, and what, what what the Pope did that that's really different because look, I mean, for centuries, for two thousand years, nearly, or sixteen hundred years, however long, Christians have been reading Bibles that said Lord. Uh, what he come along and done and says, look, there are these translations, these Catholic translations that don't have Lord that have Jehovah or Yahweh, mm. and we've got to take that out. He's actually said that. He said, we've got to take that out and replace it with Lord. So, you know, he, he's not just maintaining the status quo of, well, this is our tradition. We don't, say, we don't say the name of the Father, the name of, as he calls it, the personal name of the God of Israel. 
Um, he's saying when when we've been doing that, we've got to stop doing it. We have they had hymns in the Catholic Church, over a dozen hymns that were sung at various times, and those are now banned, or or Yehovah or Yahweh is now replaced with Lord. And, and look how this works: this sleight of hand. Isaiah twelve four, and you will say in that day, "Give thanks to Yehovah, call on His name, make known mm-hmm. His deeds among the nations." What are His deeds? Uh-oh. His deeds are creating the world, taking Israel out of uh, you know Egypt, etc. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Well, now, in the Pope's version, he's changing it to, and you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord. And he tells you, we want, Christologically, we want people to think the Lord in this verse is Jesus. So give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, on the name of Jesus, make known his deeds among the nations. Um, you know, and I'm not trying to undermine what Christians believe about the deeds of Jesus, but that's not what Isaiah was talking about. Right. Proclaim that his name, the name of Jesus, is exalted. That's that's sleight of hand. That's deception. That's not even what the agree? New Testament does. That's what the Pope is doing. And I want to read just a couple more verses. There's so many here that are that are so powerful. Um, Isaiah 42:8. I am Yehovah. That is my name. I my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to idols. Well, now now think if you're a Catholic and you're reading this. I am the Lord. That is my name. And, and the Pope has told me the Lord is Jesus. I am the Lord Jesus. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to idols. You're standing there in the Catholic Church, and you're reading this, and you're looking up at the statue of the Virgin Mary. What? <laughs> this is theological sleight of hand. Um you know, and again, I'm not knocking the Catholics for what they believe. That's their right to believe that. But don't go into my Bible and and change it. That's just not right. Um, you know, and, and and he says that he has this Christological purpose. He admits that in the letter. You can read it for yourself. The letter to the bishops. Um, and here is Isaiah 44:5. Is an end times prophecy. It's talking about all these nations that will come and start identifying with the God of Israel and the people of Israel. It says this one will say, "I am Yehovah's." Or I belong to Yehovah. Yes. Another will be called by the name of Jacob. Yet another will write on the hand belonging to Yehovah and adopt the name of Israel. Well, not anymore, because now the Pope has said this one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will be called by the name of Jacob. Yet another will write on the hand belonging to the Lord, meaning mm. belonging to Jesus. Well, they've mm. changed it now. I mean, the Pope has changed the message. Um, I think, I- Two more verses. Uh, the nations will fear the name of Yehovah and all the kings of the earth your glory. Well, now it's they will fear the name of Jesus. They will fear the name of the Lord. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of Yehovah is to be praised. Not according, that's Psalm 113.3, not according to the Pope. According to the Pope, the set, from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord, meaning Jesus, is to be praised. Mm. Now, again, I'm not knocking the name Jesus. Christians believe what they believe. But he's changing the meaning of what it says in the Tanakh, and that's the theological sleight of hand. Mm. Um, I want to point out, the ver- now, he, he brings the verse, Philippians 2, 9 through 11. So I'm going to read that, even though it's very controversial. Because uh, here's he says this is the precedent for doing what I you know this sleight of hand, and basically <laughs> he's accusing Paul or whoever wrote Philippians of of being the originator of this theological sleight of hand or exegetical mm-hmm. sleight of hand. So the, here's what it says in Philippians two nine through eleven. Therefore Wait, God also has highly exalted him meaning Jesus in the context, and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Okay, 
So why do I say that's, uh, or why does the Pope accuse Paul of exegetical sleight of hand, or essentially of of, of replacing Yehovah with with Jesus? Because Paul here is quoting a verse. He's actually paraphrasing a verse, and it's a verse that appears in the Tanakh, and it's actually Isaiah forty five twenty three. Mm, and there in Isaiah forty five, Yehovah is speaking, and he mm. says, "To me shall bow every knee, every tongue shall swear." And uh, in the Septuagint, that's uh, translated slightly off as "to me every, to me shall bow every knee and confess every tongue to God" is what it mm-hmm. says. Mm-hmm. Well, now Paul takes that from the Septuagint, confess every tongue to God, and he says the name of, of Jesus to the name of at the name of Jesus every knee will bow. And so it's, it's interesting no that you uh, you bring that up because yeah. you you read out Philippians uh, chapter two verses. 10 and on, and in verse 10 in my New King James, uh, King, New King James Study Bible, it has the cross-reference, and it leads me back there. And they equate the two right. by doing that. It takes oh, me back sure. to Isaiah 45. Oh, it's, it, it, in the Greek, it's verbatim, meaning if you look at the Greek translation of Isaiah and the Greek of Philippians, mm-hmm. it, it, it's, uh, I mean, it changes the word order, but it's the same exact words. At the name I, of Jesus, I, every word knee will bow. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is, the, is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Well, now, so we've gone from everyone confessing every tongue, every tongue confessing Yehovah, and bow, every knee bowing to Yehovah, to now every knee is bowing to Jesus and is confessing the name mm-hmm. of Jesus. And I think Keith talked about this in his bonus chapter, and it was very controversial. But look, the Pope brings it up. And so the question here is, does that then give the Pope the permission that every place that says Yehovah needs to be swapped out with Jesus, which is what he does? Well, here, here's what I want to say, and I think you guys, I'll, I'll give the minority report here, um, is that <laughs> the minority report, that's cute. Double I'm the only Methodist on the, uh, on, the, uh, on the show. But, but one of the <laughs> things I thought that was so powerful is that when I read the New Testament, uh, Yeshua, Jesus, depending on what name you call him, there are enough exploits there that, that I could get pretty excited about his life and ministry and what he did. Where I get even more excited is when I understand the significance of his name. And what does his name do? It points back to his father. And that's why I think that this is so important, Jono, and so important, Nehemiah. And I know there are all sorts of theological landmines here that we could step on and, and you know have a big discussion and argument about. I don't want to do that. What I've always tried to do is find common ground. And I think there's common ground in understanding the significance of our father's name. Yeah. I think there's common ground in understanding why Yeshua said to sanctify that name. Mm-hmm. And even further, if I can say it, where I've even had better conversations is when I have talked to my Jewish brothers and sisters regarding the significance of what Yeshua's name means, then I can have a discussion. I can't have a discussion <laughs> when they, they're sitting there looking at the information that I'm looking at them and saying, but why won't you look at this information? Why won't you acknowledge what Isaiah 45 says? Why won't you acknowledge what Zechariah 9, 14, you know, I want to acknowledge that, and that's where the discussion can take place. It can't take place by using the Pope's approach, mm-hmm. and that's why I think Nehemiah, you are really. I'm. I'm. I'm very excited again that you brought this up, and I'm excited that we can start having this dialogue again because I think now we have more information today than we had in 2010. Certainly in 2011 when I did the television show, and boy, oh boy, the kinds of manuscripts and things that have come out. I think we really could give people some information that they could own for themselves that will help clarify a lot of the confusion undoubtedly undoubtedly you know, and, so, and, and just as the last as the last statement um now i read you this thing from philippians and compared it with isaiah and, mm-hmm. and didn't really have time to go into the whole thing but i think what the pope is because the pope quotes this verse as justification for his uh, theological sleight of hand and he accuses paul of that 
And I think that's a slanderous or libelous uh, accusation against Paul, because yes. I don't think that's what Paul meant. I don't think Paul was trying to twist Isaiah. I think, of course, he had the belief that Yeshua was, was, was the Messiah, but he ends it by saying, to the glory of Father God, that's the fact, and, sir. And the Pope would have us read, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of Jesus Christ. I mean, the Pope is really changing this, um, essentially, by you know, with, with this ruling saying you can never say the name of the Father. Can you just imagine the uproar if the Pope said, we will no longer proclaim the name Jesus, we will only say Lord? What would be the Christian response to that? Would, and that would should like be purchase. the same Christian response. That should be the same Christian response to this ruling, where he says that that they can no longer say the name of the Father. And one last verse, Psalm one hundred forty eight, eleven to thirteen. Kings of the earth and all peoples, including Catholics, including Methodists, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and judges of the earth, both young men and maidens, old men and children, let them praise the name of Yehovah. Mm-hmm. I'll read that again. Let them praise the name of Yehovah, for mm. his name alone is exalted. His glory is above the earth and the heaven. Now, some Christians may say, well, wait a minute. You can't read that verse in Psalms. That's insulting to Yeshua. That undermines the verse in Philippians you just read. And, you know, look, that that's their opinion. They're allowed to say that. I have to wonder, though, Paul, who, who supposedly wrote the, the epistle to the Philippians or whoever wrote it, um, he knew that verse. And so when he said, talked about... You know the name of Yeshua. What did he really mean? Did he did was he trying to say, oh no, that name Yehovah is no longer important, uh, and now it's only going to be the name Yeshua? And I think Keith, Keith had the 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 key to that, where you know he pointed out that Yeshua actually means Yehovah saves, and so I don't think he was you know undermining the name of Yehovah. If he did, that would make him a false prophet because mm-hmm. he's, you know, saying something contrary to the Tanakh. And and look, ultimately, I as a Jew can't tell Christians which one is right and which one is wrong. Um, you know, whether Paul is a true prophet or a false prophet, because I'm a Jew, um, you've got to decide that for yourselves. But here's the evidence. Now go out and search it out for yourselves. Mm-hmm. Jono, Keith, I would just simply like to say this. I, I, I again, I just think this is an amazing opportunity. I believe that we've been <laughs> led to this. And uh, I just think I just think this is a real great, great. How can I put this a, a moment uh, for us to to take a look back at, at what the process has been again in terms of bringing this information forward? Because I think a lot of people would assume in listening to this, oh, this is not, you know, this is not this is going to be anti-issue or whatever. I don't think that's what this is at all. I think this is a oh, chance, to, yeah. you know, th- to find some foundational information in Scripture uh, that will help us. And so let me say this. I hope that people will do this, and I know you're going to do this at the end, but I hope that people will do this. Get the information for yourself, and then again, over the next 12 weeks, I'm going to put this up, and then let's just have some dialogue mm-hmm. after we've seen it and talked about it, because I really do think um, this could this could raise up a group of people who are who are equipped to be able to address this this uh, this important topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Isaiah 42 verse 8: I am Yehovah, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another. And so I just want to emphasize at the end that this isn't meant to be anti-Yeshua. This isn't anti-Jesus. Um, if you ask me, the Pope is anti-Yehovah. And, um, 
And if Yeshua really was the messenger of Yehovah, that would make the Pope anti-Jesus himself, anti-Yeshua. I mean, and that's, that's a fact because he wants point. to be called the Holy Father. That's why he's anti- See, does, I will give you this statement. Oh, he's the, whole the thing Holy about Father. The Pope, oh. No, is what he wants to say is, look, no intimacy with the real Holy Father. Have intimacy with me. That's what the issue I brought up in Time Will Tell. It's the issue I brought up with the name. It's the issue as I pertains to the Torah. Mm -hmm. This is nothing but a, a repeat of the, the rulers of old who've come into Israel and said, no more time, no more Torah, no more speaking God's name. And you know what? we got to stand up to it. That's what we're doing, and that's why this information is so important. So the information will be available in even greater detail at uh, yes. in Seattle, uh, June 8 and 9. Seattle, the One God Conference, and uh, the title, as we've mentioned, is Pope Benedict's Theological Three-Card Monty by Nehemia Gordon. So if you mm -hmm. can be there, be there. And uh, we will be putting links up to that. Meanwhile, you can uh, keep up to date also on Nehemia Gordon's Facebook page, also uh, on Keith's Facebook page. Time will tell. We'll certainly keep you up to date in regards to the, um, uh, the television series that was too hot for TV, that was banned, that was taken off. Because it's about to be available for 12 straight weeks. I'm telling get your textbook. It's Hollywood Name Revealed again. And... Uh, supplemental information and important. <laughs> Nehemia, your book has got to be in included in the uh, the curriculum for this summer course. There it is. So we're going to put we'll put links on this post so that people can keep up to date with that. Gentlemen, thank you so much for coming back onto Truth to You, and and uh, and for bringing us up to date and for sharing what you have shared. It's certainly fascinating. We'll be looking forward to comments from the listeners in this regard. Until next time, dear listeners, be blessed, be set apart by the truth of our Father's Word. Shalom.